This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work at pcaac.org. This is Gifts and Graces. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we have for you a sermon from Ryan Anderson. Ryan Anderson serves as an assistant pastor at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. This sermon was originally recorded in June 2019 at the PCA General Assembly in Dallas, Texas. Well, I've been tasked this morning to open up the scriptures to you with a bit of a briefer meditation that works well for all of us this morning. So, hey, it's already a good day. And uh, I'm excited about doing this. Uh, I would like to mention a few things before we begin. And that is uh, for our little ears in the room, our children in the bunch, though you, you may be an adult children, I have three things that I would like for you to listen for as I go through uh, our text this morning. First of all, listen for a story about a spelling bee. Secondly, I want you to listen to uh, the descriptors or things that made the city of Laodicea unique. And then thirdly, Keep your ears open for a surprise invita- invitation. I think you'll want to hear that. Well, let's pray together and ask the Lord to bless our time. The Lord, you have spoken that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It will outlast every single one of us. And so we bow before it with reverence and respect, and yet we come because of its enduring nature to impart grace and wisdom and life. We come now with open hearts. So would you, by your spirit, Lord Jesus, would you come now and be with your people. Teach us, we pray, that we might love and honor your name. Amen. Well, at the time, I can tell you, it felt like the biggest day of my life. Eight, nine, and ten-letter words were swirling in my head on that fateful day of the third-grade elementary spelling bee. Well, finally, it was my turn, so I stepped up to the mic, and the speaker read my first round word goes. The word is goes. This is too easy, I thought. Though I didn't need any help, I said, I'll draw this out for effect. Use in a sentence, please. Jack goes to the store. Goes. I thought, yeah, I know goes. I know goes. Absolutely. It rhymes with rose. And so my confidence was demonstrated in my spelling speed that day. G-O-S-E goes. First round done. Mic drop. Preening. I took my seat. Well, I'm sorry, said the MC. The word goes is spelled G-O-E-S. Next person, please. What? What had I done? I was too confident, blinded by how little I knew. Have you ever had a moment like that? I'm not talking about your spelling abilities, of course. I still have those. I'm talking, of course, about one where the honest appraisal of who you really are is the furthest thing from the thing you thought? The church of Laodicea had that problem. They sure did. 
You see, their appraisal of themselves was, well, elementary, overconfident, plagued with blind spots, and in dire need of help. You see, mostly, the, the truest condition, really, of who we are, after all, is not seen. And did you know, of all the seven churches that Jesus addresses here, it is only Laodicea that was literally the church about whom Jesus has nothing good to say. Their blindness to who they really were, we'll see, had made them blasé to the things of Christ. But it's in response to this that Jesus gives honest words meant to bring about true hope, a living hope. You see, for the church about whom Jesus has nothing good to say is also the church, wonder of wonders, to whom Jesus has the tenderest words to speak. And I want us to see this morning that Jesus comes and speaks His grace to these and to us, to His deluded Christians, His deluded listless Christians. He comes and speaks profound grace. How so? In two primary words, with words of honesty. He'll speak words of honesty and He'll also speak words of hope. And He does this for them and for you and for me, that we might know this very morning the unmatched joy of His presence before you today. This is our great hope this morning. So let's take a look, firstly, at these words of honesty found in verses 14 to 17. Let's take a look first at who is doing the speaking here. You notice this, you're familiar with it. The words of Jesus to Laodicea opened by Him beginning to tell them about who He is. And what does he say about himself? He says, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He is the one that comes from the Father and tells true things about the Father and about us, about who we are. And this is key in understanding this letter to the church in Laodicea. You see, in each of the other six letters, the self-identification of Christ is meant to address some particular need in that church. So seeing this about our present church, we learn something about their particular need. It wasn't merely, it wasn't merely that they had grown lukewarm in terms of piety of heart, in terms of devotion. No, you see, Christ as the true witness is critiquing especially their failure to bear witness It wasn't so much that they were being critiqued for their loss of love for Jesus, but it was that they had failed to bear witness in all of life, in word, in worship, and in works about the watching world in that city. You see, witness, how we tell in word and indeed all of life about what God has done in the person and work of Jesus, Laodicea had grown lukewarm. And doing that. It was a lukewarmness of heart, yes, but notice that it is in verse 15. Did you catch it? He said, I see your works. It's your works that Jesus knows and finds nauseating. One commentator puts it this way the unbelievers of the city were receiving, were neither receiving, were receiving neither spiritual healing nor life because the church was not actively fulfilling its role and witnessing to the gospel of Christ. How exactly did that come about? We'll look at the city itself, will tell us. Laodicea was well known in Asia Minor. It's a large city, 
And it was known for several things, the first of which was its banking center. Its banks were flush with cash precisely because its people were. To demonstrate in AD 60, there was an earthquake that decimated much of the city. And where other cities in the region appealed to Mother Rome for financial assistance, it was Laodicea alone that said, we'll take care of it ourselves, thank you very much. They needed nothing. Secondly, Laodicea was famous for her fashion, believe it or not. The glassy black wool from sheep bred in the region outside of the city clothed many of the wealthy in that. They were rich and they wore it in style. Thirdly, it was their medical school. A medical school that specialized in ophthalmology, the care of the eyes. And lastly, and less glorious, was their public water situation. Six miles away in the city of Hierapolis, there were famous hot springs. And to get that hot water to Laodicea, aqueducts were built. And to the south in Colossae, cool water was transported in via aqueduct from their refreshing springs. But you guessed it, by the time that water had traveled that distance, the hot water and the cool water together had become what? Tepid. The hot after traveling over mineral deposits even more was bitter and foul. And if you've ever had a sip of tepid or sulfury water, it makes you want to what? Spit it out. In light of this background, Jesus' honest appraisal really begins to pop, doesn't it? You see, Laodicea said one thing, verse 17, I'm rich, I don't need anything. But Jesus says, you don't know. You don't realize your need, that you're blind, you're poor, you're pitiable and naked. This delusional church had become more like the city and not the other way around. You're like your water, Jesus says, lukewarm and emetic. And this is, this is what we need to see. It is this inability to see their true condition, their need, which was their poverty, their nakedness, their blindness, that had produced in them a spiritual lethargy with respect to bearing witness about the grace of God in Christ. But there's no doubt that these are the words of the church in Laodicea. But you know what? For him who has ears to hear, they are also the words to the church of the Presbyterian ilk here in America. When the PCA wants to do something as a denomination, it depends on the AC. When the PCA wants to get together and conduct the business of the church, the PCA depends on AC to coordinate General Assembly. When the PCA wants to maintain relationships with other denominations, the PCA depends on AC to coordinate interchurch relations. When the PCA wants to study an important matter, the PCA depends on the AC to coordinate study committees. When the PCA needs to hear and rule on important discipline cases, the PCA depends on the AC to coordinate the work of the Standing Judicial Commission. The PCA depends on the AC, and the AC depends on generous churches and individuals like you. Learn more about our work and how you can support it at PCAAC.org. So by way of driving this into our hearts just a bit, may I ask a question for us to consider. In what ways and for what reasons, be they similar or different to Laodicea, have we as individuals and as churches become lethargic in our witness? 
Where have we become that way? May I offer just one? As we leave our assembly, as we conclude our business to go back to our context to press on for God's glory. John in chapter 17, you know our Lord prays for us and he prays for our unity. It's interesting, the unity is prayed for a purpose. So that what? So that the world would know about him. Remember these words, these are Jesus's. I do not ask, Father, for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that what that you have sent me, unity, is witness. It always has been. In the fourth century, the emperor Julian the Apostate called together the leaders of the church to work together to work out their differences. But as his last name, the apostate, tells us, he was certainly no friend of Christianity. In a move as prescient as it was cunning, he knew one way to minimize Christian witness, listen to this, was to get the leaders of the church gathered together to settle out their differences. One historian said that Julian said this, no wild beasts are as dangerous to man as Christians are to each other. Whew. I mean, if that's not sobering for our context and the remaining work of our labors and how we will treat and love one another moving forward, oh Lord, may Jesus, would you, would you come and bless us and heal us, oh Lord. May we beg the Lord to protect us from all the underlying causes, from indifference to disunity that lead to lukewarm testimony to the watching world about Christ. May he grant it even through tough and honest words about us. And may he grant it too through where we look now, these words of hope found in verses 18 to 22. You likely caught it. Jesus says he offers counsel in verse 18 to this lackadaisical church. He speaks the language of the locale yet once again to give them hope when they, tr when they are truly hopeless. He says, come to me and buy from me gold and buy white garments and buy salve that you might have your true need truly met. What is this counsel? Well, it is nothing other than a dual call to be zealous and repentant in verse 19. This is instructive for us because you know what this means? The future of the PCA is going to be bound up in the character of her repentance and zeal. And I, I just give that to us and I say, let's become more like that. Wouldn't it be known if the PCA were the type of church, that, you know what, the PCA, I don't know much about them, but they are repentant people. And they are zealous for the Lord. May the Lord do this in our midst. And I, and I think sometimes when we hear these words about repentance, it's just so easy. Shame is so powerful. And so we read this and we say, all of this to rub our noses in it? To shame us? Oh, beloved of the Lord, of course not. For it is our shame that he has come to cover. No, the heart behind these hopeful words for repentance is something else. If you think the letter to Laodicea is the blast you away letter, Will you please reread verse 19? The text says this, those whom I what? Those who I love. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. The fiery words from earlier to them and to us are motivated by an even fierier love. 
Paul puts it on display in his kindness where he says it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. And what does repentance look like for all who have become well Laodicean? The answer is actually doubling down on this love imagery. Look at verse 20. Commentators have pointed out that the knocking Christ, far far from being a knocking evangelist at the door, is actually an Old Testament echo from the Song of Songs. You know that letter that young Jewish boys could not read because it was so steamy. Verse 5, chapter 5, verse 2, indicating the sleeping bride inside of her chamber. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved, is knocking. Open to me, says the voice on the outside. My sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. Repentance begins by listening to the invitation of our beloved husband to come dine with us and he and us with him. And it is this image exactly what they needed and what we needed as well. Why? Why? Because don't we know that even seasoned Christians can easily think that Jesus just looks at us with all of our faults, indifference to him included, and just sort of shakes his head. And y'all, till I'm blue in the face, can I just tell you, he loves you. He loves you. Brothers and sisters, Jesus loves you. Yes, he might speak honest words, but do not you forget for one moment that we are gathered here today in this assembly to be reminded that God so loved the world that he came into it to rescue and to redeem the likes of you and me. Hallelujah. That's the best news that you can hear today. We could all go home if we didn't have business to do. So buy from him, aka receive from him. Receive. Don't earn what you do not have. This means that you will need nothing, of course, to do so. So do you have it? good, then you are blessed. And if not, ask Jesus to give you nothing that he might give you everything. The hope for Laodicea is this. Jesus saying, your indifference to me, your cold heart to me is no match for me. I've come to blast right through that and to give you true riches and true covering and true sight. I am the true witness and I speak true things. I love you and my Father loves you. Repent and buy from me without money. Come buy and eat. And when you do, now clothed and rich and seeing, go bear witness about me and what I do to those that don't want me. Go spend on the poor. Go to the least of these. Go open your mouth and tell people about me. Go into your professions. Do them well as emissaries of my grace. Herein is the antidote for lukewarmness. This is the sum of the text. Jesus intends to bring us out of our spiritual boredom and unleash witness in his world. How? By guaranteeing celebration with him. The secret's out, you know. This whole shebang, this whole Christian life, The end of history, which we participate in even now, is headed to one big celebration where plate and cup overflow with all the richest fare that Jesus himself has, secured by him through his death and resurrection. 
And if the cross tells us anything, it tells us that Christ was committed to us in the face of our indifference toward Him. And it was there that He became poor. That He became pitiable. That He became wretched. And yes, as shameful as it is, that He became naked even for us. And if the empty tomb tells us anything, it tells us that death itself will not stop us from celebrating with Him. So you want your lukewarmness warmed? Look to the one who bled for it. Lay your indifference in His hands, both individually and as churches. The exalted one of Revelation will most certainly tend to it. Several months ago, Seth Meyers, the late night host, had a segment called The Kind of Story We Need Right Now. And Myers tells the story about William Novak. William Novak, who lives in Phoenix, uh, Arizona, received an email invitation to a bachelor party. The email subject read, Angelo's Bachelor Party. And that email was not intended for this Novak, but one back where the party was happening in Vermont. But this Novak in Arizona, instead of instantly deleting the email like we might do, or reply, wrong email address, dude, he read the contents, typed in, count me in, and hit reply all. Now, when the guys putting on the party read that response, they said, uh, you're not the guy that we intended to invite, but you sound awesome, get to Vermont. But because Will was a new dad, he couldn't be throwing money on random trips and such. So what does he do? He goes and starts a GoFundMe page to pay for the trip, which was funded in two hours. And to make sure Will was not a psycho, the people in Vermont made him send a photo of himself and for airport pickup to boot. And Will kindly obliged and they sent, and he sent them a pic of him doing karate in the second grade, which made it onto the official t-shirt of the weekend. Well, word of all this hits social media, they get free ski lessons, a dude from a local brewery shows up with beer, and they spent the weekend driving around in loaned Maseratis. And it all ended up being a massive celebration for Angelo. Now listen here. All of this because of an accidental invitation with the news of a killer party and a guy who was willing to go. Now, if an accidental email can bring this much joy, how much more would personal, direct words from the host to the party that all other parties are trying to approximate not only a promised joy, but absolutely guarantee it? Which is what every single one of us in this room right now has this morning. And not by accident. I stand at the door and knock. Do you hear the rapping on the door? It's meant to heal our delusions. Faint as it may be, the one behind it is able to drain oceans of indifference in your heart and mine and in our churches collectively. He comes to us to feast with us so that we might bear witness for him to a watching world. I want that kind of PCA, don't y'all? May God do it. May God do it. Let's pray and ask Him that He would. Our Father in heaven, by Your Spirit, come and do what we cannot do. Warm our hearts again. Help us to repent. Help us to turn to You, O Lord. 
remind us that we have much to be zealous about. And would you use us in our context to be light and to be salt, that the watching world might come to know the excellencies of who you are. It's in your name we pray and for your glory. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They're free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.